grateful that you would join us. If you would turn with me to Ephesians chapter 6, we're going to be in verses 10 through 20 today. The title of today's message is The Armor of God, as we're in that very famous passage in the book of Ephesians. The title of this series, as you see on the screen, is In Him. That's the hallmark phrase of Paul the Apostle. It's, it's the uh, theme of Paul's writings, and especially in the book of Ephesians, as that is a summary of the gospel, that we are in Christ, we are united with Him. And um, because of that, His death is our death, His resurrection is our resurrection, and His future is our future. Amen? Amen. So it is Father's Day, and, you know, I thought, well, what kind of Father's Day message could I, should I give? And I thought I would just preach the gospel again. (laughs) (laughs) I think that's the best Father's Day message I can give is is a reminder of the gospel, especially one like today, about arming yourself like a soldier of Jesus Christ that we have here in this text. This spiritual warfare passage, Ephesians 6, verse 10. Here we go. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish the flaming darts of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Praying at all times in the Spirit, with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. And also for me, that words may be given to me, in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. This is God's word. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for how your word equips us how your word strengthens us, and how your word sends us. And I pray that your Holy Spirit would work today through the preaching and the hearing of the gospel and help us walk out of here today filled with your spirit, filled with the joy of our salvation, and ready to serve you in whatever capacity you have called us. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So, uh, yeah, this is a very famous text. Uh, I'm sure, you know, if you've been a Christian for any length of time, Uh, especially if you grew up in the church, uh, you are very familiar with this text because this is a very famous text of scripture, especially for kids ministry. You know, there's a lot of kids songs about this and putting on the armor of God. And, um, you know, I I actually don't know the whole song, but I may never walk in, you know, but I'm in the Lord's army. I don't see you singing. I'm in the Lord's army. Yeah, just don't, don't sing. Okay. Oh, she knows it. Yeah. So, like, you know, that's, that's a lot of famous songs around that. There's also, um, in, in my history, a lot of, you know, adult service songs, like the one by Randy Rothwell. Anybody remember? There's a great and mighty army in the earth today. Anyone? Bueller? There in full array, the host of darkness tremble as we walk their way. There's a great and mighty... No? In the... I guess I was just Heidi and I. <laughs> So a lot of songs, you know, about this text and, um, you know, it's, it's, it's often a go-to text when, when you're talking about spiritual warfare. And I've heard some very complex explanations of this text, breaking down each piece of armor in great detail. 
But as we look at this today, I think we'll find that it's pretty simple. And uh, I want to take a look at it from three angles. Number one, that we have an enemy. Number two, the Christian's defense. And number three, the Christian's offense. So the enemy, our defense, and our offense. Let's look at this first idea here of an enemy. And our enemy is mentioned there in verse 11. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. And contrary to what some have believed and some have taught, the devil is not a metaphor for evil. He is a very real person that is full of wickedness, lies, and a wicked agenda for this world, for the church, and for you. Now, on one hand, we shouldn't be too obsessed with the devil. I've been around Christians before who, you know, see a demon in every corner and blame Satan for everything. He gets way too much credit. On the other hand, we shouldn't be ignorant of his devices and his schemes. But he's real. He's fallen. He has a wicked agenda for the world and the church. He wants to destroy Christians. In some ways, I think one of the things that may motivate Satan is he knows that he cannot stop, ultimately, God's plans for his coming judgment. So, the more that he can slow the church down, the more that he can sow wickedness and evil and disunity and false gospels into the church, the more, perhaps, he can slow down his own judgment. Revelation 12 says he's full of rage and he deceives the nations. C.S. Lewis, in his book, The Screwtape Letters, famously said, there are two equal and opposite errors into which our race can fall about the devils. One is to disbelieve in their existence. The other is to believe and to feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. They themselves are equally pleased by both errors and hail a materialist or a magician with the same delight. Jesus talked about the devil and he called him a liar. And in John 8, 44, uh, when Jesus is talking to not the irreligious, what you're about to hear, he said to the religious community that rejected him and his claims and his message, he politely said to them, you are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning. He does not stand in truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character or nature because he is a liar and the father of lies. I want you to think about that for a moment. The devil lies. He's the father. He procreates lies. He creates lies suited to you. Lies suited to your circumstances to disrupt your confidence, to disrupt your peace, to disrupt your, your faith in the finished work of Christ. He tries to get in your head, just like he did with Jesus. He tried to mess with Jesus' head. And we actually looked at this idea recently in Matthew 5, when Jesus was led out by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Let's read that. It says, Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Now, before I continue, just as an aside, this verse encouraged me greatly when I found myself years back in a terrible season of darkness and a wilderness. And I read, Jesus was led up by the Spirit. I was wondering who I should blame for my wilderness. What did I do wrong? How did I get here? Where did I, you know, miss the GPS 
directions or take a left when I should have taken a right or gone south when I should have gone north and and or you know why did why did the devil how did how did the devil gain this power in my life according to this here Satan is not sovereign over your wilderness he is not sovereign over your pain and your suffering Jesus was led by the spirit so if you find yourself in darkness and you find yourself in the wilderness be encouraged by that that God is sovereign over your pain your suffering and your wilderness and the devil does not have the final say God works all things for the good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. It says, after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came to him and said, if you are the son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. So Jesus, in a sense, ties one arm behind his back and says, let's fight. I could still take you. And Satan brings his best punch and he says, if. You are the son of God. There it is. If you want to know what's so diabolical about Satan's attack, just look at the first part of this thing he said to Jesus. If you are the son of God, what is he doing? He's trying to get Jesus to doubt who he is. How could he do that? Well, remember, Jesus was and is the God man. He's the only person that's ever lived that's had a dual nature of being 100% God and 100% divine at the same time. So Satan is coming and playing upon Jesus' human nature, trying to get in Jesus' head and fashion a lie to get Jesus to question something that does not need to be questioned, and that is who he is. He knows who he is. I mean, if somebody came to me and says, if you're Derek, it's like, why do I have to prove that? I know who I am. I've got a birth certificate that says that I got ID, but more than that, I just know, because I've been him for a long time. And Satan says, if you are the son of God, why? Why does Jesus need to question that? He doesn't. He tried to get Jesus to doubt the truth about who he was. And remember what the great theme of the book of Ephesians is, that we are in Christ. We are the children of God and we have an inheritance in Christ. We're united with Jesus and we're just as loved and acceptable to God as Jesus is because we are hidden in him. And if Satan did this to Jesus, he's also going to do it to you. He's going to try to mess with your head. He's going to try to steal your confidence. He's going to try to destroy your joy in your salvation. So Paul writes in verse 11, Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. One of the meaning of the Greek word behind schemes, one of the meaning meanings of that word is trickery. So he says that you may be able to stand against the trickery, the illusion of the devil. Another word that's used there is deceit. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the deceit of the devil. He's going to try to trick you into wrong thinking, to lie to you, to steal your confidence. I'm not a complete person. I'm not a whole person until I get this or I gain that or I do this. That's what he did to Jesus. He says, if you're the son of God, then what? Do this, do this thing. Gain this thing. You need the bread. You need to do this miracle to prove it. That's legalism. That's not resting in faith in Christ. That's adding to faith in Christ something that will ultimately complete me, complete me and ultimately make me beautiful. Because right now, I'm not in a current state that where I can rest and where I'm beautiful in the eyes of God. And the theme of Ephesians in him says, yes, you are. 
You're united with Christ right now. Your justification is a done deal. You don't need to earn it. You don't need to improve upon it. You don't add to it. You just believe it and receive it. But Satan comes and says, if, if that's true, then X. Or we just look to the world to complete us when we're already complete in Christ. No, for me to truly be a complete person, I need this group of people to approve of me in school. I need this group of people in the community to approve of me. So I'm going to earn their respect and I'm going to earn their favor and their approval by doing this or making these compromises or disguising myself uh, to act a certain way or be a certain way to gain their approval. Or I'm not a complete person until I get a husband or get a wife or get this job or achieve this goal. It's all lies. It messes with your head. It steals your confidence in who you are in Christ. It steals your joy. And Paul says, put on the, har- put on the armor of God. Defend yourself against the schemes of our enemy, the devil. His power is in the lie. He has no power except the degree of the lie that you believe. So Jesus comes along and he says in John 14, 6, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. He says in John 8, 31 and 32, you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. So spiritual warfare with our enemy is set up as a battle between truth and lies. It's a battle about what you believe or don't believe. Kind of a humorous illustration wasn't humorous for my daughter joy but when she was just a little kid she was really scared of spiders um and uh one of the things i've said to my kids is i will not let you i'm not as far as it's up to me i'm not going to let you be scared of anything dad could you uh could you leave the light on i'm scared of the dark nope you're not allowed to be scared of the dark turn the light off and we've taught our kids how to you know war through those things and if necessary War against the devil, and one of the famous phrases in our home is, you tell the devil, get out of here in Jesus' name, and go sniff a pig's backside. <laughs> and then they, they, they love it. They love telling the devil to go sniff a pig's bummy. <laughs> well, Joy was scared of spiders, and I don't know why, but she, it got to the point where she was even scared to go downstairs, because I think every morning, I don't know how it happens, every morning we get one of those gangly spiders in the bathroom downstairs. Everybody know, anybody know what I'm talking about? You just, in, in that area of the house, every day it just seems like a spider resurrects from the dead and reappears in the morning. <laughs> and not, and it was, it's not the kind that are like big and scary or, or it's not a daddy long legs, but it's those gangly, you know, spindly ones that just kind of hang out. Well, Joy was terrified and I'm like, this, this, this has got to change. She's, it's actually, actually affecting where she goes in the house and where she like brushes her teeth and Washes her hair and gets ready for school. So one day I'm like, all right, let's, let's deal with this. So there was this dead spider there. And I'm like, come here, Joy. Put your hand out. We're going to put the dead spider in your hand. Now, it is irrational to think that this spider has any power over you at all. has zero power. No, I don't want to. Put your hand out. And we put the dead spider in her hand. And she's just like, ah! Ah! It went on and on and on. And then it dissipated and dissipated. And after that day, she never had that fear again, at least to that degree. (laughs) Did the spider have any power over her? No. No. What had power? Her fear. The lie that she gave power to. The devil is a liar. He's been lying from the beginning. And the Christian need not fear him or his lies. 
So we arm ourselves with the gospel. That's our enemy, the devil. The Christian's defense. Few observations right away, just as you read this text. Number one, somebody's about to shoot at you. Did you catch that? Somebody's about to shoot at you. Put on this piece of armor here, put on the helmet, you grab a sword, a shield, and at some point you got to go, <clears throat> um, why? Because, oh, you didn't know. You're a target now. Somebody's about to shoot at you, so you better put the armor on. Number two, be proactive. Notice in verse 11, it says, put on the whole armor of God. Verse 13, take up the whole armor of God. These are phrases that imply that this doesn't happen automatically. You don't wake up with the armor on, at least in the way that he's teaching here. Now, I'm not saying you don't wake up saved. Okay? That's, I believe in the security of our salvation. That's finished in Christ. And yet there, there's part of our walk with God where in some sense we need to put on the Lord Jesus Christ. That the armor isn't on automatically. And we've said it often here, and I think we need to hear it often. That Christians need to learn how to preach the gospel to themselves. Because if we don't, the other voices will come and they'll take over. The lies will come. The discouragement, the depression, the fear. The temptations. They'll come and take over. In his book, Spiritual Depression, Martin Lloyd-Jones, Martin Lloyd-Jones said this. By the way, uh, recommended reading if, if you're in a a time of darkness and you need some encouragement, check out that book by Martin Lloyd-Jones, Spiritual Depression. He wrote, Have you realized that the most of the unhappiness in life is due to the fact that you are listening to yourself instead of talking to yourself? Take those thoughts that come to you the moment you wake up in the morning. You have not originated them, but there they are, talking to you. They bring back the problem of yesterday or somebody's talking about you. But who's actually talking? Your old self is talking to you. Now, this man's treatment in Psalm 42 was this. Instead of allowing this self to talk to him, he starts talking to himself in Psalm 42. Why are you downcast, O my soul, he asks. His soul had been depressing him, crushing him. So he stands up and says, self, listen for a moment. I will speak to you. David does the same thing in Psalm 103. Remember that very famous psalm where he says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not his benefits. If you wondered why he would say that to his own soul, his own heart, his own emotions, it's probably because they weren't cooperating when he woke up in the morning. He was experiencing what Martin Lloyd-Jones is talking about. He woke up and just blindsided by that discouragement or depression or darkness. And so David, like, takes his soul. He's like, hey, soul! Bless the Lord. I'm not giving you a vote. You don't get a vote as to whether or not I worship God today or trust in God. And he sort of talks his soul back to the right spot. And if you read Psalm 103, a beautiful psalm, the way he does that is he reminds himself of the gospel. Listen to what he said. Forget not all his benefits. He, he was forgetting. And so he's reminding himself of the gospel. He says he heals all your diseases. He pardons your iniquities. As far as the east is from the west, he's removed your transgressions from himself. What's he doing? He's preaching the gospel to himself. And that's our defense. Now let's talk about the armor. Instead of seeing the armor as sort of random compartmentalized pieces, we need to see that all of the armor springs from the same theme, the same idea, and that is the gospel. Listen. 
the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. That's verse 15. Verse 16, the shield of faith. Verse 17, the helmet of salvation. Verse 17, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. They're, they're all just a different way of saying the gospel. The belt of truth. That's the truth about Jesus and what he's done. The breastplate of righteousness. The Bible says we've received the righteousness of God in Christ. That's the gospel. Shoes for your feet. It mentions the gospel of peace. The shield of faith. Faith in what? Faith in Christ and his finished work on the cross. The helmet of salvation. That's our, that's our justification in Christ. The sword of the spirit. The word of God. That's another synonym for the gospel. Let's look at each one of these just briefly. The belt of truth. What is that protecting? Well, I was interested to find out as I studied this that in ancient times, mutilating enemies' bodies, especially sensitive areas, was a common wartime practice in ancient times. And one of the things that conquering uh, nations would sometimes do as a form of humiliation is they would expose their enemy's buttocks, especially their enemy king. They'd strip them down naked. And so Paul says, put on the belt of truth. Without truth, our nakedness is exposed. We live in shame because we don't understand God's love. We don't understand God's grace. We're constantly living in a state of condemnation and shame and guilt. But we come to Jesus, we believe the gospel, we put on the belt of truth, and our nakedness is covered. The breastplate of righteousness. Christ is our righteousness. But think about the breastplate. What does that protect? It protects your heart. And so to believe that Christ is your righteousness, that Christ is your salvation, it protects your heart. And that is the heart of the gospel. The shield of faith. With that, we ward off the lies of our enemy, Satan, as Jesus did when he said, it is written, it is written, it is written. And then the helmet of salvation. What does the helmet protect? It protects the mind. But it's all the gospel. Listen to what Milton Vincent wrote in the Gospel Primer, a resource we've used in our home and here in the church from time to time. Vincent writes, As long as I am inside the gospel, I experience all the protection I need from the powers of evil that rage against me. It is for this reason that the Bible tells me to take up and put on the whole armor of God. And the pieces of armor it tells me to put on are merely synonyms for the gospel. Translated literally from the Greek, they are the salvation, the justification, truth, gospel of peace, the faith, and the word of God. What are all these expressions but various ways of describing the gospel? Therefore, if I wish to stand victorious in Jesus, I must do as the songwriter suggests and put on the gospel armor, each piece, put it on with prayer. That God would tell me to take up and put on this gospel armor alerts me to the fact that I do not automatically come into each day protected by the gospel. In fact, these commands imply that I am vulnerable to defeat and injury unless I seize upon the gospel and arm myself with it from head to toe. That's the Christian's defense. And finally, the Christian's offense. Pick it up at the end of verse 17. The sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. And also for me, that words may be given in the opening, in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel. It lists here some offensive weapons that the Christian has. 
Verse 17, the word of God. Verse 18, prayer. Verse 19, gospel preaching. And also verse 19, the power of the Spirit. Did you notice how Paul requested boldness? That's a similar request to what the other disciples were praying for in Acts chapter 4 when it says they were gathered together and they said, Lord, consider their threats in Jerusalem. They were being threatened. Consider their threats and grant thy servants boldness that we may proclaim your word. And the Bible says the place they were meeting was shaken and they went out and they spoke the word of God with boldness. So according to Acts 4 and according to Ephesians 6, boldness is not just a personality trait. It is a gift of the spirit to do brave things, courageous things for God. And he empowers us by his Holy Spirit. He fills us with his spirit to go out and be his witnesses. And in Matthew 16, 18, Jesus said that the church should be on offense when he said to Peter, on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. I mentioned this idea recently. Think about ancient cities and gates. Where were gates located? Gates were the part of the city that was the entrance point for the enemy and the place where you had to fortify your armies and protect the gate. Because if the enemy broke in the gates, they break in the city. So gates were created in ancient times to protect cities. And Jesus says, on this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail. Folks, Jesus is not saying that hell won't prevail when we get on defense and get in the trench and protect ourselves with the armor of God. We need to do that. Jesus is saying hell won't prevail when we attack hell. When we obey the great commission of Jesus Christ to go into all the world and preach the gospel, to go and make disciples of nations, that's when hell won't prevail. When we're on offense, when we're saying, charge, let's bring the glory of God to the nations. Let's bring the message of the gospel to our community here in Avon and in western New York. The gates of hell will not prevail against us. Psalm 24 is similar. Watch how this very lovely psalm suddenly takes this very violent turn. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. Beautiful. The world and all those who dwell therein. He has founded it upon the seas and established it upon the rivers. Right now it's a John Denver song. Beautiful. Verse 5. He will receive blessing from the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. And righteousness from the God of his salvation. So there he's worshiping. Verse 5, he's remembering the gospel. It's beautiful. And then all of a sudden in verse 7, it takes this violent turn. It almost seems like out of nowhere. Lift up your heads, O gates. Be lifted up, O ancient doors, that the king of glory may come in. Who is this king of glory? The Lord strong and mighty. The Lord mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O gates, and lift them up, O ancient doors, that the king of glory may come in. Who is this king of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the king of glory. So there in the midst of worship and remembering the gospel, the psalm takes a seemingly violent turn when he says, lift up your heads, O gates. Again, gates are to protect cities. And so this is a picture of God's people on offense, attacking enemy fortified cities, spiritual cities in a sense. Spiritual, this text says we wrestle not against flesh and blood. Your, your, your enemy, our enemy is not that person or that group of people uh, or that media report or that judge or that politician. Our warfare, spiritual warfare, is against spiritual powers of darkness that seek to destroy this world through ideologies, lies, and false gospels. 
And so we move forward and we move toward the gates. We're on offense and our weapons are the word of God, prayer, gospel preaching, the power of the spirit, which includes the fruit of the spirit, which includes the love of the spirit. And it makes total sense that these are connected. In the midst of worshiping and remembering the gospel, we see the mission. We get on offense and pursue the glory of God. I've got this story from um, Reese Howell's intercessor in the Battle of Britain in World War II. As he gathered his little group of students at his Bible school in Wales. And I'll read the account of one of the victories they had in prayer. Another battle of intercession was about the German air raids in 1940. And the crisis of the Battle of Britain. When Goring made his great attempt to gain mastery of the air in preparation for the invasion of England. These are journal entries. September 8th, at first in a time when the bombing of Britain was causing heavy inflictions upon civilians, Mr. Howells and the college, I'm sorry, this is just a summary of what happened on September 8th. Mr. Howells and his college saw their faith levels raised to believe that no bomb would ever fall on the college properties, even though Swansea with its strategic docks had some very heavy raids. Mr. Howells himself declared, we have never walked this way before. As time went on, Mr. Howells came through to victory, knowing that his prayer was answered, not because of selfish need, but because of the work of the kingdom. In the afternoon meeting, he said, I could put in print that no devil can touch anyone here. September 10th, quote, after the victory of Sunday, there is liberty to pray that God will really deal with the enemy of the Nazis and put an end to this wicked system. Our prayer for London is that God will turn the tide now and save lives. September 12th, we prayed last night that London would be defended and that the enemy would fail to break through, and God answered prayer. If we have protection for our properties, why not get, not, why not get protect, protection for our country? God was faithful and did not allow any bomb to fall on the college's property throughout the war, and hence complete safety was given to all the children and staff. Quoting from Reese Howell's Intercessor, the biography by Norman Grubb, September 14th, quote, Because we have believed, God has made known to us what is to come to pass. Every creature is to hear the gospel. Mr. Churchill, the Prime Minister of Britain at that time in his war memoirs, gives September 15th as the culminating date in that battle of the air. He tells how he visited the operations room that day and watched as enemy squadrons poured over and ours went up to meet them until the moment came when he asked the air marshal, what other reserves have we? There are none, sir, he answered and reported afterwards how grave Mr. Churchill looked. And well, I might, added Mr. Churchill. Then another five minutes passed and, quote, it appeared that the enemy were going home. The shifting of the discs on the table showed a continuous eastward movement of the German bombers and fighters. No new attack had appeared. In another 10 minutes, the action was ended. After the war, Air Chief Lord Marshal Dowding, Commander-in-Chief of the Fighter Command in the Battle of Britain, made this significant comment. Quote, even during the battle, one realized from day to day how much external support was coming in. And they interviewed the German bombers after the war and asked them why they turned around that day on September 15th. They were going to take London. And several German bombers reported what they had seen. Because the British said, we only had a few planes left. And the German pilots said, a few. There were hundreds. We were outnumbered. That's why we turned back. God had answered the prayer. Now, this is a fantastic story of something that literally affected World War II. But how about your workplace? How about what's going on in Avon High School? 
How about what's going on in your work environment? How about what's going on in your family? How about what's going on in your community or our state or our country? Let's be people who engage in spiritual warfare against these spiritual powers of darkness with these weapons that we have of the word of God, prayer, gospel preaching, and the power of the spirit. There was a missions conference years back, and for days there were appeals made saying, God needs workers, God needs laborers in the harvest. Who will, whom shall I send and who will go for us? Who will say yes and say, I will serve God in my generation? And after many days of this conference, the last day, an old seasoned missionary got up and he said, I've been hearing for days that God needs laborers. He said, God doesn't need laborers. He needs worshipers. He needs people who love him with all their heart. Because those people will be laborers. Years ago, I was praying for revival. And I prayed for several years. I was with a group of people who were very eager to see revival come. And we were praying, oh God, do save souls. Lord, save people in our country. Save people in our city. Save people in this part of the country. And as I was praying, it's like the Lord began to reason with me in prayer. And and I had this conversation about what I was praying with the Lord. And it's like the Lord said, well... Before a lot of people get saved, what kind of revival do you need? And I thought, well, we need a lot of people talking about Jesus. We need a lot of people preaching the gospel. Right. So before you get a revival of souls, you need a revival of laborers. So my prayer changed. Oh, Lord, move in the church. Father, I pray that you'd raise up people who have your heart and people who would go forth and preach the gospel. And then the Lord reasoned with me again and said, well, before you get a revival of laborers, what kind of revival do you need? I thought, oh, we need a revival of worshipers, like this old man was saying at this missions conference. People who love God, people who are passionate about the cross, people who have been taken in, whose hearts are electrified with the love of God that's on display in Jesus. So I began to pray for a revival of worshipers. Lord, I pray that that you would just raise up a people who love you and go out to the nations of the world. And then the Lord Reason with me one more time in my prayer. Before you get a revival of worshipers, what kind of revival do you need? Oh, we need a gospel movement. We need a revival of revelation, a revival of the thing that causes us to worship. The message of grace, the message of the cross, the love of God in Christ. We need a renewal of gospel-centered truth and doctrine to come into our hearts and into the churches and, and renew us. And from day one of Grace Life Church, that is what I've prayed. A revival of revelation of grace that would turn into a revival of worshipers that would result in a revival of laborers that would result in people coming to Christ. Like Psalm 24, he's worshiping. He's remembering the gospel. And then he says, lift up your heads, O ye gates. It's out of that revelation of grace and revelation of of the apostles' teaching and the doctrines of grace that we move forward into that place of worship and then laboring and then we see souls saved. Then we'll say to Western New York, lift up your heads, O ye gates, that the King of glory may come in. Then we'll say, lift up your heads, Clarksville, Tennessee. Lift up your head, O ye gates, that the King of glory may come in. America, lift up your head, O gates, that the King of glory may come in. Or how about the nations we love as a church? Uganda, lift up your heads, O ye gates, that the king of glory may come in. Turkey, that beautiful nation, lift up your heads, O ye gates, that the king of glory may come in. China, 
that enormous nation. God is doing so much in that nation. Lift up your heads, O ye gates, that the King of glory may come in. Let's get on offense, church, and let's make the most of our time because the scripture says the days are evil. They're short. Let's walk in stride with the Spirit and live for the glory of God. As the old poem says, just one life, it soon will pass. Only what's done for Christ will last. Just some brief application as we move on from this message. Number one, I want to encourage all of you to fuel, fuel and protect your heart with the gospel. Prepare your heart for spiritual warfare. Do spiritual warfare with the gospel. Put on that helmet of salvation, the breastplate of righteousness. Remind yourself of the gospel. And of course, you're not alone in that. We have brothers and sisters in Christ. Just the other night in my, at the dinner table, we, we had our kids pick prayer partners. So we're doing the prayer partner thing even, thing even in our house. And uh, they've got to trust God's sovereignty with what <clears throat> sibling God chose for them. But we're not alone in this. Remind one another of the gospel. Send that text. Make that call. Right? Post that, that encouragement. When you see somebody struggling on Facebook or, or on social media, encourage them in Christ. Encourage them that their sins are forgiven. Encourage them with the gospel. In verse 13, I love what it says. Take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all, to stand. I love how he basically just says, after you've stood, stand. And sometimes that's a good answer when people ask, how are you doing? Can't say I'm doing well. You don't want to ask for a counseling session. I think a good gospel answer is, I'm standing. If you're in a dark time, if you're in a wilderness, if you're in a hard time, if you're having a battle of soul, if you're in spiritual warfare... How you doing? Standing. In an Ephesians 6.13 sense, I'm standing. But I want to encourage you to just be proactive in the gospel. Preach the gospel to yourselves and one another and to your children. Number two, get on offense. Ask the Lord how. Lord, how do you want me to get on offense? How do you want me to be proactive in, in getting in step with your mission to bring the glory of God to the context of where I live? where I work, where I go to school, the relationships that I have. Ask God for wisdom, and he'll, he'll tell you how. And I suspect that a lot of you already know, and you just need encouragement to persevere in what you're already doing. Well, consider yourself encouraged. Put on the whole armor of God and persevere in what God has called you to do to attack the gates where you live. But get on offense. Ask God for wisdom, and he will show you how and who he is calling you to. And finally, just a brief word for fathers. Dads, I want to encourage you on this Father's Day to war for your homes, to war for your children, to war for your grandchildren. Don't be passive, right? The devil has a plan for your kids. And the world is constantly asking for their attention and trying to brainwash them. Well, let's teach our kids to think for themselves, to reason with them in the gospel and show them how the gospel reasons with their heart and reasons with their mind and then wins us to see that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Pray for them. And when necessary, fast for them. Be a watchman on the wall, not just in the first hour, the second hour, the third hour, but in the ninth hour, the tenth hour, 
in the 11th hour. Let's be watchmen on the wall. Watchmen looked out and they saw the enemies that were coming from far away. I want to encourage you, fathers. War for your homes. War for your children. War for your grandchildren. War for your spiritual children in prayer. Because God has called you for such a time as this. And God made you in his sovereignty. Yes, you. He made you the husband of the wife that you have. And he made you the father of the children you have. And he gave you the job that he gave you and put you in the place that he did. Because it's all part of his sovereign plan. And he's designed you to live and to be in that situation, in that context. And so trust him for his power. To work in you and through you. To glorify his name. In your particular distinct situation. Let's turn to him now and ask for grace. Father, first I pray for those who need to be on defense today against the lies of the enemy. I pray for those, Lord, whose confidence has been shaken. Who the enemy has come to and said, if you're really a child of God, if God's really your father, if you're really loved. And Lord, they're they're battling lies, they're battling discouragement, they're battling condemnation. Father, I pray that uh, you would help them to put on the armor of God. And even right now, Lord, as we hear this message, we put on the Lord Jesus Christ. We choose to believe what the word of God says, that that is our spiritual reality. Not my feelings, not even my circumstances. Spiritual reality is what your word says about me and my circumstances. And so we put on the Lord Jesus. Bless them, help them, guard them, and protect them today. We expose the lies. We ask that you'd undo them by your truth. And Father, I pray for all of us that you'd help us to be on offense. Help us not to be... Uh, Help us to be meek, but not weak and cowardly in this day when it's like Goliath raises his head every day and seeks, Lord, to persecute your word and your truth and your gospel. Help us to be people who are gentle and lowly and courageous and brave. Lord, that you've created us for such a day as this, such a time as this, and let it be said of us when it's all over, like it was of David that we fulfilled the purpose of God in our generation. Fill us with your Holy Spirit. Remind us of the gospel of grace today. Help us to walk in the joy of our salvation. I pray in Jesus' name, amen.